electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Welcome to today's episode of Binge. I'm Carl Quintanilla. Real treat for us today. John Favreau joins us, of course, actor, producer, but for our purposes today, co-creator, executive producer, and writer of The Mandalorian, streaming now every Wednesday on Disney+. Plus. John, it's great to have you. Thanks for being with us. What a treat. Oh, thank you for having me. My pleasure. I was talking to the floor crew uh, before we started, and, and they're universally excited about this season. Episode one uh, looks amazing. Can you talk just briefly about how you see this season evolving over prior seasons? Well, we've been we've been on the air. This is our third season. There was also uh, the Book of Boba Fett, which had a few episodes that dealt with these characters. So, uh, like anything else, we you know the stories evolve. We introduce more characters, so the stories become more complex over time. And I think there are challenges that I've never faced before. Uh, in, in, in TV, because the story continues on uh, there, in, with so many chapters, unlike film, that you have to really time things out, especially if there's other shows, as we have Ahsoka and Skeleton Crew also coming out, which are in the same time period. So they all have to weave together. You want to evolve the characters, but you don't want to ever to get so complex that it demands that the audience does uh, has to do a ton of homework before they can enjoy the characters of the stories. So, uh, so the story does get more complicated. They go to Mandalore. We meet other Mandalorians. Uh, so a story that started off as a very small, singular thread has now turned into a bit more of a tapestry. It is amazing to think back to the first few episodes of season one, where it was kind of a, was a, buddy, a buddy film, right? I mean, they were these two souls yeah. together. And now it is, it is, you're getting right to the issue that I was most curious about, and that is how you... Uh, keep the universe in your head and whether or not the bigger challenge is keeping it straight narratively or all the production and logistics that you obviously have to manage. Well, the logistics are pretty dialed in, you know, and other than me trying to figure out new tech breakthroughs that, that can help our storytelling or create greater efficiencies and, and scale. And, and it is a, you know, I learned actually a lot about that end of it from when I studied with chefs to to prepare for the film chef uh and i shadowed uh, chefs like roy Choi, and you realize that in that field they have to scale it's a creative field you're 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 cust you're consumer facing you're you, you know you're presenting something to the public and you want to create consistency and so there's a whole idea of mentorship uh there's a system of organization there's delegation of responsibilities and uh and kitchen have had that down you know that's the brigade system going back <laughs> to the roots of the culinary world so i actually learned a lot about that about how you could bring a group of artists together who have passion but also have them all um, working towards the same goal as far as the story goes the first half of your question i'm very fortunate at lucasfilm to have people like dave filoni my partner and all the other people there at lucasfilm who can help keep track of things with me so i'm not kind of out on my own in the cold. I don't have to, you know, I, although these characters are characters that I'm, you know, thinking about on my own and discuss with partners, it's not like when I see showrunners 
like like Taylor Sheridan, who has all of that Yellowstone world to keep, keep straight. <laughs> and and I he's more of a one man band. I have a lot of respect for the ambition of that undertaking and the consistency. But in Star Wars, I'm fitting something much larger. And there are stories that came before, stories that come after. And 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 then we're all experts in, in trying to live up to what George Lucas created. It's a world that that he built that we're we're now playing in. Right. That's an amazing analogy between you, what you're doing and what Sheridan's doing at Paramount, because they're they're also trying to scale. But I wonder if you think the um, the uh, structures in place to be even more ambitious than maybe uh, others might expect. You've got you mentioned the other shows that you're doing. Are there limits? Are the limits logistics or is it about, as you say, the fans ability to absorb uh, complex storylines, interweaving storylines? The audience is your is your limiting factor. You have to make sure that you're presenting something that they're digging. And and as you know, and as you discuss on the show, there are different prevailing winds that hit as the business changes because, you know, it's show business. And and so there are I, I've I've lived through a lot of different cycles because uh, remember, I've been I've been working with Disney since uh, Iron Man. So I've seen the the business change and and the way what what is valuable valued uh, in, in, the, in the front offices, uh, how do you not let those uh, business forces affect the creative process? And I'm fortunate to work at a company where they're sensitive to that. But at the end of the day, there's a lot of money on the line and you want to make sure that the people who are investing in you are, are getting a return on that and that you're not losing them money. Uh, but at the end of the day, it's always about the audience. So you could do all that right. And if you don't connect with the audience and they don't like the stories you're telling you know ultimately it doesn't matter i know you were asked once about i think it was in reference to to the marvel universe but you were you were saying how quick you've been surprised at how quick fans are to fill other fans in to get people up to speed so yes. to speak collectively how much do you do you rely on that a, a tremendous amount i mean if you think about when we were growing up uh what television was like just a just a news channel how many tickers and 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 alerts and things and i remember when mtv started with mtv editing and quick cuts people were concerned that people couldn't follow and <laughs> and absorb that much information coming at them so fast but but we we have a, a tremendously sophisticated audience now and each generation gets even more of a capacity to absorb information they have a, a you know they're 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 often they're multi-screen watching, they're on their phone, they're chatting with one another, the TV's on in the background, they're absorbing a lot. And and I think in the Star Wars community, the the one of the challenges is that you have people who are my age who grew up, who, who saw the original film when they were 10 years old in the theater, and you have people who've never seen Star Wars before and everything in between. <laughs> you know, you have different people who entered at different different stages of Star Wars, and that's been going on for decades and decades. You know, if you think about the prequels, the Clone Wars, the sequels, uh, and then all the uh, extended universe uh, material. And not everybody values everything the same way or, or sees it the same way. And, and one of our goals here is to bring all of those audiences together and still have something that we could uh, have an outstretched hand to the next generation of Star Wars fans that, as well. That, that seemed, that's an awfully big uh, bucket 
right? Guys like you and I, no. I mean, I was seven when Star Wars came out. I mean, Empire hit when I was 10. I mean, the ultimate sweet spot. Is that a subtle way of you saying you're slightly younger than me? Is that, <laughs> is that a way to... Not subtle at all. But I, I guess I'm wondering how, <laughs> how you do that, satisfy me and my kids, right? For whom I'm explaining a lot of it and showing those films to them for the first time. I think it comes from passion and it comes from feeling that you're part of that audience as well and that you're getting a chance to actually, you know, play play a lick on your guitar for everybody else. Uh, and so everybody who's on the show, even though they come from all different ages and, and backgrounds in the business, from independent film, from animation, we all have this common uh, love of, of Star Wars and how much it meant to us when we were growing up. And, and the care that we want to put into making sure that you know, we're not always right, but we're always thoughtful about it. And we discuss everything and we, we make sure that, you know, before we send it out the door, that that we really believe that we did the best job we could and that we're ultimately all working to the end of, of doing what's best for the, this particular property, this franchise and a world that we're inheriting and not one that we created. Right. I wonder, I bet your viewers would be curious to know how you receive a fan response. In other words, I imagine you read the trades, you read the reviews, but does someone deliver you a packet of what's gone viral or how does that work? That, that does happen to some extent through the studio just to say, hey, we were trending because the analytics are so, it's, it's, it's so, um, it's alchemy right now. And, and that's part of what I like about streaming is it's not like you get the box office report from each screening and everybody's reading in the papers what the drop off was and weekend to weekend and from Friday to Sunday and the reviews and the cinema score. Uh, so it, it's become like almost like the statistics of sports uh, now and everybody's an expert. There's a lot of experts in it. So that's that's a tremendous amount of uh, specific scrutiny to be dealing with and to try to keep your head in the creative space with streaming. You're getting dribs and drabs, but you're getting more of a sense of the zeitgeist. And that reminds me of what movies were like when we were growing up, that you get a kind of sense of something's a big deal, that Jaws was a hit, you knew it. I didn't know what the box office was. I didn't know what the reviews were in the other town's papers. You just got a sense from word of mouth. And, and that's where the internet fits in. Now, you know, the good news and the bad news is you could listen in on every water cooler around the country but I don't know that that's the right way to use the internet. And I think that the younger generation has a, has a better sense of contextualizing things. Uh, and so what I try to do is, is learn from that and not get into the weeds with it, but get a sense of what the preponderance is. It's the difference between like when you test a movie, you could read every card of what every comment is, but that's not as useful as just sitting in the theater and hearing what's playing and getting a sense of others. Because at the end of the day, it's for the audience. So you do wanna get feedback. But that doesn't mean that you want to question every single individual and hear what they think should happen. Uh, but I do love to, to get the reaction. And I love that streaming hits at the same time and you get a wave of response. And sometimes it's fun to watch reaction videos and things like that <laughs> for special events. Like when Luke Skywalker came out, you know, it was fun to watch people reacting because they'll post that. And it is really helpful to have an ecosystem where everybody talks to one another. So if you're doing a good job, they'll let each other know. So it's not reliant on marketing uh, like traditionally it would have been because word of mouth really spreads fast, good or bad. Yeah. So I try to get a sense of it. I try to put my finger to the wind. We kind of get a sense together. Somebody will point out if something really interesting is popping up. 
but I don't do that deep dive into it because you could get very caught up and caught up in it. And it, it's ultimately not helpful creatively to, to, to spend too much time, uh, preoccupied with that aspect of it. And that's interesting. I, I was struck by something you said about fan response. You said it, what's interesting is when they're so smart, meaning the audience, that it makes you think about things you hadn't necessarily considered. Is there a good example of that? Yeah. Uh, there's so many that I, it's hard to point out. But, but often there's, you know, we'll put something in and there will we'll be conjecture. And it's almost like you... you the closest thing I could think of is like the way AI is is now where it you it it kind of combs what's out there and then presents you with an answer in, uh, you know, large language models. It, it, it's really, you know, AI that we're seeing now is 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 a predictive language model. Right. So it, it just scrapes the Internet for all of the uses of those terms and comes up with what the next word is going to be. And so it it seems like it's a it, it's it's very thoughtful intelligence, but it's really aggregating information, human information that's out there. Mm. And I would say that the fan base with Star Wars is so is so widespread that when you put something on the air, you're getting this aggregate of theories, sometimes criticism, conjecture. And so you're putting it out there in, in the supercomputer of this web of this crowdsourced web of highly um, educated fans that often have spent more time dealing with Star Wars than I have. And so it's interesting to see what their theories are and compare them to what we actually came up with. Because we're trying to do a microcosm of that in our small group of creators and, and fans who are the directors, the writers, producers of the show and executives. Uh, so it's interesting to compare and contrast. But um, and then to try to surprise them, but then surprise them in a way that doesn't feel like it's um, a left turn. And so People guessing at the Luke Skywalker thing was interesting. Uh, people guessing what was going to happen in the season. People trying to figure out what's happening next and comparing to what we have. That's how we. That's how we find it most useful. I love that the audience is a, a learning language model. That's a. That's a pretty insane uh, analog. <laughs> I don't know that that's everything, but certainly with Star Wars and with Marvel, uh, you have you know because there's a whole community around what. And and people will pull in these deep cuts of like a book that was printed between, <laughs> you know, you know, between the original films and, and, and point things out and guess. And then we'll throw things in that will refer to things like the Christmas special or a character <laughs> named Will Wilro Hood, who carried an ice cream maker through the background of, um, you know, one of the original films. So you you have. You know, we're always putting stuff in there that rewards that and, and, and incentivizes that conversation. And we'll do deep cuts. And and so the, the idea is that if you've never seen Star Wars before, hopefully you'd be able to tune in. But if you've been paying close attention, we're going to have things in there that make it interesting for you right. to talk to your circle. And uh, and that's part of the I think that's part of why people are excited to watch. It feels like a bit of an event because people want to figure things out for the first time and discuss it with one another. I'm, I'm glad you brought up um, why you love streaming and the data analytics behind it and the culture behind it too. We talk about obviously all the streamers all the time. We talked a lot about Disney lately because of Iger's return. Can you sum up how creatives think about his coming back? Well, he, you know, he was there when I first uh, when I first started collaborating with Disney uh, back uh, around Iron Man 2. And he's 
been I've watched him and his team shepherd in all the different changes. And it's so interesting watching a, 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 a someone like Iger both anticipate what's coming next, but not push too fast and too far into the future. Because again, when you're when you're leading such a, a large company, you're answering also it's not it, well, there are fans, certainly, but there's also stakeholders in in what's going on and how you react to the the changes and what you anticipate is coming and how to prepare for the future but still let the people who you're working with feel that you're supporting them creatively and and what i like about uh uh bob Iger, one of the one of the things i like is that he you know is very he, he knows it's about story he knows it's about storytelling he knows it's about the relationship between the stories and the audience and what these stories mean to people and 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 you could build a lot off of that but if you don't put a lot of energy and attention into that the quality of the storytelling and that central relationship between audience and storyteller you're you're ultimately you're or you're, you're not gonna that that's your driving force especially with a company like disney where there's generation upon generation of of relationship if you think about you know at this point, my great grandparents would have been aware of, of Disney. Mm -hmm. And then you work your way down and, and each generation, they'll go to the parks together and uh, they'll they'll share movies that they grew up with. I don't I can't think of any company ha that has that kind of multi-generational reach <clears throat> that has that much emotional context. And so I think he appreciates that. And as a storyteller, when I sit with him, you know, there are always pragmatic concerns about time money but it's always about story first and him reacting to what we're doing and he has a genuine enthusiasm when things are going well i think he he you know he's part of the team that's presenting that and i think that's why he likes working there so much it's interesting i do want to ask you about the volume and how it's changed the unit economics of filmmaking video production because it just seems to me the and i know you've had it in the works for some time but being able to keep a sunrise or work with the child actor you know on an overnight scene or have a reshoot something in Ireland how do you explain to people how it's changed what movie making costs and what you're able to do creatively on your terms well, well we're, I'm fortunate to be partners you know with not just with with Disney but Lucasfilm and Kathy Kennedy who's been around as a producer certainly before she was running Lucasfilm uh, and working with people who were creating incredible tech innovations if you go back to George Lucas and Steven Spielberg so the idea that film is ab about exploring new technologies as a means and, and also an inspiration for storytelling, a means of storytelling and also inspire new stories is something that is, you know, the things that we see as nostalgic now were big breakthroughs. You go all the way back to SoundSync with Steamboat Willie. I, I would argue that tech breakthroughs are probably just as much of a part of the uh, impact of, of film that a, a, as the stories themselves. Mm -hmm. So it's that dance. Film is cinema has always been that dance between technology and, and storytelling. And, and, the, and the technology is what, you know, if the technology is impressive enough, it is magic. It just appears to be magical. And so when people see a new technology for the first time, it is magical. The volume, the specific use case you're talking about uh, is, you know, at first it, it, it's always expensive to get it off uh, on its feet, but then over time you're gonna experience efficiencies. It also leads you to the next step of what's gonna make things impactful 
and and keep the audience coming back to this particular medium when there are so many other media that are vying for attention that are arguably more tuned in through algorithms to what they really want, you know? And so you're really fighting to have an, a great experience that's impressive for this audience. And it also, uh, part of, you know, we talk about the volume because for those who don't know, it's a video wall that surrounds the stage and allows us to bring up final, uh, final pixel visual effects in camera so that we can get the uh, cinema quality effects in, in, in a, you know, in the in the time frame of a television show, which is about a year compared to about two years, and then create efficiencies for to work within the budget. And remember, we're telling two to three times as much story in a television show as you would in a film, mm -hmm. just as far as screen time goes. And so we're we're reaching across into the innovations that are being made in the gaming space, which is a whole different business model that demands innovation as well. And so the basis of that video wall is game engine, is real-time render or near-time render. And so we're exploring how do you how do you piggyback off of innovations that are being made in other industries to, to bring the best experience to the audience and to put most of the, the resources on the screen so that you're getting a lot of impact and a lot of visual uh you know uh, sophistication for the for the budget and time right. frame that we have. I mean you're you're talking about gaming uh you know sort of leveraging their their tech prowess the industry's tech prowess the last of us arguably is leveraging their storytelling prowess and i just wonder that yep. i mean that can't be a coincidence I, it's interesting because you have a, a the the generation of gamers is maturing you know over time and so there's a familiarity with that ip but i think it's also uh, you know the level of sophistication that you deal with it it's not just an, you know it's not just a, a a name that you put on the screen, but you have to honor what the experience that the you, the people who played the game had so that you feel like you're really honoring that experience in a new medium and you're presenting it in a new medium, which justifies why you're not just experiencing this story in, in, in the game space. And what's interesting about The Last of Us, uh, which, I, which I really enjoy, I watch, uh, I, I think they're doing a great job. And of course, Pedro, Pascal is in, in, in both the projects, <laughs> yes. so I was I was definitely checking it out from the beginning. Uh, but I, I, from the people who I know who've who've spent a lot of time in that world in the gaming space, they really appreciate what's been presented, and they feel that it's creating a consistent experience. And 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 ultimately, every piece of IP that you're dealing with is a puzzle, because in this very crowded world of a lot of ideas, a lot of content you're fighting just to be noticed. You know, there's that whole idea of tracking a film. Is there unaided awareness? Do people know, even know what it is? Because so much, so much entertainment has been created over the last few years and so many things fly by me that I wasn't even aware of and mm. find out after the fact. Mm -hmm. So in this very crowded space, it's not like you have three networks and you tune in to must see TV. Like you're, you have to make an appointment to see something. You have to make, and, and you have to be aware of it enough and, and, and certainly social media uh, helps because if something is good, uh, people will inform one another and do a lot of that heavy lifting for you. But another thing is, and, and, and why you're not seeing as much original material as you may have in decades past is existing IP has a, it already has um, an awareness in people's minds. And it's your job to, to, if you inherit that awareness, you have to make sure you're doing something additive to it. And that's, you know, that's always the challenge. You either have to add a new technology on top of it 
take a different angle, but you also want to still stay true to the expectations, but not do something that's so uninteresting and, and expected that it's not, it doesn't, it doesn't feel innovative. So, you know, every, every project is a puzzle. And ultimately, if you could, if you could unlock that puzzle, you, you then get the benefit of something that might be enduring and, and capture the attention of, of the zeitgeist and a lot of people and, and tell a story that's, uh, ultimately delights people and they want to keep coming back and seeing more. It's actually a great explanation for why nostalgia is so powerful, right? I guess and will be for as long as we're around. It leads me to one of my last questions for you, and that is when people think of you as an actor or director, really, the hunger for a reboot of Elf or a reboot of Swingers or a reboot of Rudy. We would, you know, any of us would take all of those things. I, you know, some uh, I to me the the ones you've rattled off are, are you know very flattering, but uh, I don't know that any of them demand it. I think that there are ways to explore IP, and I think nostalgia. What, what you're what you're referring to as nostalgia is, you know, there to me means an emotional connection to something that you're already familiar with or you grew up with, and I think that what's probably coming next is not so much redoing those films or rebooting. But as new technologies emerge, how do you use properties that people have a connection with already to bring you into the new media and the breakthroughs that are happening? Because part of what's interesting, too, is that I don't know that there's, there's such a specific curation of material that's being fed to people. And I don't just mean recommended on a streaming service. I'm talking about platforms that are actually like reading how you are, you know, interacting with what you're interacting with and feeding you up content that is specifically tailored for you, mm. which is which is creating weird bubbles because there's your experience on a platform might be completely different from mine based on what you click on, you know? And so you don't have this big communal experience where all the different generations and all the different people in all the places in the world will have a shared experience. I think Disney benefits from that because so many people grew up with that and they're aware of it. But if you look, everything's kind of fracturing and, and becoming atomized. And so on the one hand, the, the upside is you have these great new technologies for us to explore these existing properties with and seeing what, how to tell stories with new media, which is exciting for storytellers because it feels fresh, it feels new, but you also have the familiarity with maybe what's at the center of what you're creating. Uh, so th that's a that's an interesting uh, challenge as well. And and as each generation matures, they're not really connected to the same media that we were. You know, film does not occupy the same place in, in, in my kids generation as it did to me and my dad, mm -hmm. where what movie are we seeing this week? That's not the question people ask. They, they say if they hear about a movie they want to see, they'll go see it. And so we have to make a case across all media that we have to meet the audience uh, where they are and also innovate in directions that maybe they don't expect and we could surprise them with. And that speaks to the tech breakthroughs you're talking about, whether it's for The Mandalorian or Disney Plus or the new technologies that are on the horizon that, you know, are really compelling. And and I think that it's our job as storytellers and filmmakers to to engage with the new technologies and create stories that ultimately bring us all together 
and hopefully have a shared human experience that I think that's ultimately what we're yearning for. And that's what we don't want to lose as media evolves. John, such a smart discussion. Uh, we covered quite a bit of ground and we're so grateful to you for your time. Thanks for being so generous. A pleasure talking to you. Thank you so much. This was fun, yeah. fun to talk about. Yeah. And again, congratulations. Uh, that's John Favreau, co-creator, executive producer and writer of The Mandalorian, streaming Wednesdays on Disney+. Plus. From pit lane to podium, the Las Vegas Grand Prix is providing fans a race day experience at the speed they deserve. With the help of T-Mobile for Business, our 5G advanced network solutions are powering race day operations with event-wide connectivity. From streamlined gate entry to an immersive app, giving fans blazing fast access to the sport they love. This is accelerating innovation. This is the Las Vegas Grand Prix with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. 